notes about the message today, and then you have, you, you also don't have notes about the message today. Boy, it's been a struggle, to be honest with you, today, or this week. Anybody else hot? Can we turn it down to like a degree? Hit it on, make it, put it on cool and turn it down a degree. That way, you know, kind of like frogs, you won't even notice it get cooler. <clears throat> but we're in Colossians, uh, in Colossians 1, verse 24. Again, if you've got a Bible, you can look it up uh, in the Bible as well. Colossians 1, 24. Thank you. Just the sound of the air conditioner makes me feel cooler. Colossians 1, 24, Paul says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, I just read that. I'm going to read it again. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. There are two shocking statements in that one verse. That most likely, you were not shocked by. Most likely. Most likely, if you read Colossians 1 this week, you probably just read right through that. Because that's what we do. We just read right through. Instead of, instead of recognizing, looking at something and going, hey, that's, that's a little crazy right there. I mean, if I, if I were to just tell you, like, you're used to hearing my voice, if I were to just say, hey... Welcome to Grace Family Worship Center. Uh, we're very glad to have you today. Um, um, in, in a little while, we're going to have communion. At the end of the service, uh, the sanctuary is going to blow up. And so when we leave here today, I want to encourage you, all of you to share Jesus with everybody. And, uh, and uh, let's pray. Amen. All right, so, so did you notice anything in there that was a little, a little shocking right there, right? Well, typically, we just read the Bible, and we read that kind of stuff, and we're like, oh, just the feeling's going to blow up. Okay. We just read right over it. We don't take the weight of what it's saying. And there are two statements in this verse that are that shocking. One is that Paul says, I'm rejoicing in my sufferings. And then the second is that Paul says in his flesh, he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That's crazy. That's crazy. So we're going to look at the second one first real quick, which your bulletin is full of, by the way. Your bulletin is full of this second statement that is a crazy statement. Paul says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I'm suffering, and by suffering, I am somehow, as he says, filling up, making up for what was lacking in Christ's affliction. Get the weight of that. Think about what that could mean. Is, is Paul saying that what Jesus did and suffered was not enough? Is, is Paul saying that, you know, Jesus did great and all by dying on the cross and, and all that stuff and by his stripes we're here. But really, really, Jesus' sufferings is not really enough. I've got to come along and suffer so that what I suffer can be added to what Jesus suffered so that my suffering added to Jesus' suffering can be enough. Doesn't that sound kind of not biblical, right? I mean, I, I, the fact that Paul or somebody would think, 
you know what? When Jesus was here, he didn't really do enough, so I got to do something to, to kind of like if, you know, you, you have a coworker that you're always doing their work to because you're having to make up for what they didn't do. Um, if you do, that's frustrating, right? So it's, you could say Paul is saying that, that I'm having to make up what, for what Jesus left undone. Of course, that's not what Paul is saying. Hebrews 10, we read that Jesus, when he got through with his uh, sacrificing himself, he sat down. And he sat down because it was finished and he did enough. So that's not the case. So there's four options that I'm not going to go into this morning because I feel like the Lord wants me to say something else. But they're in your bulletin. I don't want you to not know what that means. And, and so I've given you four different options as to what that means in your bulletin. And you could read through those and there's scripture references as to why they might mean that. And I just want to tell you, I think number four is the right option. Although number three is tempting as well. But what is, real, Paul, what is Paul really saying when he says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction? I'm just going to read option number four so that you'll know what, I'm, that, uh, uh, what I think he means there. And then we're going to move to the, what I, I feel like the Lord wants me to say today. <clears throat> option number four, I think he's saying, I am taking what Jesus did for us in his suffering. And I am delivering that message to those for whom Christ suffered, so that the purpose Jesus had in suffering would be accomplished. And the reason I think that is because in Philippians chapter 2, verse 30, there is a similar wording in people, something people did for another thing. It's the, 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 um, a guy named Epaphroditus, crazy name. Epaphroditus is actually named after a false god, Aphrodite. But anyway, Epaphroditus was a Christian and he lived in Philippi, and the Philippians gathered together a collection. By the way, this is not what I'm preaching on today, but this is what's in your notes. Gathered together a collection for Paul while Paul was in prison. Actually, he was under house arrest in Rome. And they gathered together a collection and all this stuff. And they chose Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus uh, to deliver the collection that they had gathered to Paul in Rome. And so Paul, I mean, Epaphroditus got the, what the, the Philippians had given, and he took it to Paul. And Paul says that what Epaphroditus did filled up what was lacking in the Philippians' giving. Look, look at what it says in, in Philippians 2.30. It says, Epaphroditus nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Talking to the Philippians. What was lacking in your service to me? What was lacking in the Philippians' service? It wasn't that they didn't give enough. They had given enough. What was lacking is what they had given and not yet made it to Paul. And if they had, listen to this, if all they had done was given but it never made it to Paul, what good was it to give? Does that make sense? <clears throat> if they, all they did was give, and they took up this collection to give to Paul to help Paul, and they took up this collection, but that collection never made it to Paul, it would have been worth nothing. It wouldn't accomplish the purpose that it was set out to do. And so Paul says, Epaphroditus completed what was lacking in your service. What was lacking? Getting the, the, the gift to the, the person that it was meant to go to. So in that way, Jesus' 
sufferings are lacking. I mean, you can see what was lacking in your service. In Colossians, he says, what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. You see the same terminology there. And so, in other words, what Paul is saying is by suffering, I'm suffering, and in my suffering, I am taking what Jesus uh, uh, suffered for, the purpose for which he suffered, and I'm taking that to the people who, uh, who need to hear it. Who, Je- who Jesus suffered for. He suffered for them, but if they never hear about it and they don't see it, they'll never understand it and it won't have the purpose. Jesus didn't suffer just to suffer, just like the Philippians didn't give, just to give. Philippians gave to get it to Paul, to help Paul. Jesus suffered to help you and me. And so Paul says, Paul says, I am working my hardest to make sure that Jesus' suffering doesn't go undelivered. Okay? By the way, you and I should be delivering as well. Should be delivering as well. And so the purpose for which Christ suffered, this is the end of part one of the message. The purpose for which Christ suffered has not been fully accomplished until everyone for whom Christ suffered hears about it, understands it, and accepts it. And so Paul had hope that the people... I'm sorry, I ain't getting there yet. All right. Are we good on that part? Again, you can read through those verses and see the other four options that it might be. Some of them have credibility or I wouldn't have put them in there. But I think that's what he's talking about. So, and again, don't. I want you to think about when you read that, what does that mean? Because that's shocking. We're going to go to the first part now. And this is what I think the Lord wants me to tell you today. First part of the verse, verse 24. He says, now I, Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Rejoicing in suffering. We've talked about this before. Why was Paul rejoicing in his suffering? It's hard to rejoice in suffering. Uh, extremely hard. It's easy to rejoice when things are great. It's hard to rejoice in when things are, when things are not great. Okay, I'm an Alabama basketball fan. At the beginning of the basketball season, I was rejoicing. I was trying to recruit others to rejoice with me. Kevin Whitworth, you got to watch Alabama basketball. We are killing it. This is our year. (laughs) I ain't even watched the last three games, four games, five games, six games, whatever. Why? We kind of tanked since then. I've lost hope, all right? Uh, I was rejoicing when things were going good. I'm not rejoicing anymore. I'm not singing praises anymore. Anyway. Uh, I'm sure whatever team you go for, you can relate in some area, in some sport. So Paul says, I'm rejoicing in my suffering. So how do we get to the point that we rejoice in suffering? I think the answer is, the reason you can rejoice even in the midst of suffering is what we talked about last week, because you have hope. Hope gives you the ability to rejoice even in the midst of suffering. Now, this message is called The Other Side of Hope. Last week we talked about hope that is that, that Jesus says, and Paul tells us, is kept in heaven for, uh, for us. There's nothing that can happen that can take that inheritance away. It cannot diminish. It's been promised to us. It's, it's ours. It is, it is a promise of God. If God has promised you something, He's going to carry it out. You can have hope in that. Like I have hope that even though I may die this afternoon, I'm going to have eternal life because Jesus died for me, rose again from the dead. He's my Lord and Savior, and he told me if I'd follow him and trust him, 
if he lives, I would live also. Does that make sense? That's a promise I stand on. I have hope that that's going to happen because I hadn't seen it yet, but that is my hope. But there's also another side of hope in which you hope for things that may or may not happen. But the hope that they will happen makes it worth enduring the suffering that makes them happening potentially possible. Okay? Now, there are many <clears throat> illustrations I could use about, um, about what that might be, what you might hope for. I'll go back to sports. There were times where I did watch Alabama football when Carrie and I met, when we stunk, and they were on top of the world. And every time we played Tennessee, I believed. I believed. I wishful thinking. It was wishful thinking. I believed. I went to Tana Southern's house with all those Tennessee fans standing around me. And we had Tyler Watts as quarterback. And they had, let's just, you know, I don't think Peyton Manning was in the same time, but we had, I mean, we had Andrew Zow, they had Peyton Manning, who, whatever. But I went over there believing. It was fun to believe. And then, of course, my dreams were smashed because we would lose every time. Um, but there's also hopes. There's also hopes that you have that, that, again, may not necessarily happen, but you hope that they'll happen. Um, um, how about pursuing a particular person, like with, 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 with Carrie, all right? I, that night that we officially met, asked Carrie if she would go out with me, okay, in hopes that she would say yes. Now, the reality was she could have said, no. Anybody ever heard no? Anybody ever made that request and heard, um, you know, <laughs> let's just be friends. The friend zone. The friend zone. But I asked Carrie, and every one of you in here that are married, at some point you, may, you stepped out somehow in hopes that what you're living with today uh, would have happened. Or maybe if you'd have known what was today, you wouldn't have. <laughs> but regardless, I asked Carrie to go out with me in hopes that she would say yes. And thank God she said yes, but the reality was she could have said no. Was it worth asking her even though there was a risk of her saying no? Well, absolutely. Why? Because she might say yes. Because she might say yes. She might say yes. How many of you ever witnessed to somebody about the Lord? You shared Jesus with them. You're sharing Jesus with them, not because you know absolutely without a shadow of a doubt they're going to say yes to Jesus. But you're sharing Jesus with them in the hopes that they will say yes to Jesus. And the possibility that they will say yes to Jesus makes it worth the uncomfortable awkwardness of going, can I tell you about Jesus? God, in God's kingdom, there, there are not always... Absolutely, this is going to happen. There are some ifs. I, I, I looked it up this week. I tried to find if there was a word in the Greek, in, in the New Testament, for might or maybe. Because if I was going to preach that there are some maybes in God, not everything is a yes, absolutely, this is going to happen. Sometimes things don't happen. There's got to be a word, might, or maybe. And I looked it up, and guess what I found? 
It's in your, it's in your translations. There is no word for might or maybe in the entire New Testament. I didn't look in Hebrew in the Old Testament. I looked in New Testament. But I felt like God gave me this. I was like, okay, so if you, got, if you gave me this, God, you told me to talk about maybe and might, which, by the way, maybe and might are awful. I remember being a kid. You never wanted to hear maybe or might. <laughs> maybe or might was the worst thing ever. Why? What did maybe or might mean? Exactly, you know it. As a parent, I learned. And then I used the maybe or might. It just gets rid of the argument or postpones it for a little while. <laughs> okay? Okay? So, so it's like, is there a maybe or might with God? <clears throat> is there a maybe or might with God? And, 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 and there is. There's not a word in the Greek language for maybe or might. But there is a mood. There's a maybe mood in Greek. A mood. It's called a subjunctive mood. I'd never heard of it before. But I sure was glad it was there because I believe God gave me this. And I couldn't have preached it if it wasn't anywhere there. So if you would, can you bring that up? This is the definition of the subjunctive mood in Greek. In grammar. Which is why in your English translation, it says might or maybe. They're not adding words that are not actually there. They're just, they're just using the word for the subjective, subjunctive mood. It says generally subjunctive is the mood of possibility and potentiality. That's a good preaching word, potentiality. The action described may or may not occur depending on the circumstances. And that is in the Bible. It's in what Jesus said. It's in what Paul said. There are times where he says this verb that's going to happen, and he uses the subjunctive mood, which means this may or may not happen. It may or may not happen. For instance, in verse 23 of Colossians 1, Paul says, again, he wants, he wants everybody to, to um, well, let's just go there. Colossians 1, this is not in your notes, by the way. Verse 23. He says, if indeed, he wants you to stand above reproach before Jesus, right? The goal, remember, he wants us to be mature in Christ. And here's what he says will happen if we're going to be, stand before God as a, a holy, blameless, and above reproach. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, steadfast and steadfast, not shifting from the hope that you have. Okay? So, so that word if is a... Potential, maybe, conditional statement. It's subjunctive. All right? So, th so there's an if there, which means, get this, because this fits with what Paul is saying. Paul is giving everything he has to the point where he's suffering. He's in prison. He's in jail right at the moment where he's writing this. And he says, the fact that I've lost my freedom. And I've lost my friends, and I've lost my, my, my reputation that I had when I was a Pharisee. And I've lost a smooth, smooth skin on my back because I've been beaten 39 times, five times, and shipwrecked, and, and stoned to death. All that I've suffered. And he says, I count all those sufferings as joy. I rejoice in those sufferings. Go back to verse 24. 
for the sake of the body, for your sake. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Here's what Paul is saying. Going through all that was worth it, not just because I know Jesus is going to reward me one day, but because possibly and potentially, and my hope is, but it may not happen, but my hope is that you will one day stand before God and before Christ as holy and blameless and without reproach. I'm going through, through these sufferings for you in hopes of, because that word if is there, which means they may not. But Paul rejoices in the sufferings even though it may or may not happen the way he wants it to happen. He says, I'm good with that. Give me the potential of that happening and I will consider it worthy. Give me the potential and I'll consider it worthy even if it don't work out. Now here's the deal. Your life as a Christian has a lot of those in it. There are a lot of things that God calls you to do, tells you to do, that you're going to have to do not knowing what the outcome is going to be. That same way, if I ask you, Carrie, to go out with me, I don't know if she's going to say, you're going to, you're going to like I said before, you're going to share Jesus with people. But what, what should make you feel better is the fact that Jesus himself died on the cross, suffered, came in the form of a human, right? And, 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 and not, not a beautiful human. Nothing about his physical appearance that we should go, wow, that's a good-looking man right there. That's what it says. He had no stately form. He didn't, we didn't look at him and go, boy, that's an impressive man right there. No, he, he came as a man, a regular person. And he, and, he, and, he, and he lived for God while he was here. And he died on the cross. He did all that. He suffered all that in the hopes that you would follow him. When I say you, I'm talking about all of us in here and the whole world. In the hopes. But the reality is not everybody's going to follow him, right? Not everybody that he died for is going to follow him. Now that goes against what people who are straight up uh, tulip, uh, uh, what is that called? Uh, Calvinist would say. Okay, so... We'll talk afterwards if you want to argue this point with me. But Jesus died for the sins of the entire world. It says that. And there are some people for whom Jesus, get this, there are some people for whom Jesus died for their sins that are going to die in their sins. It's just the truth. They didn't have to. The potential was there for them to not die in their sins. But it's not necessarily going to happen. Now listen, don't be one of those people that dies in your sins. How stupid are we if somebody has paid for our sins and we can be sin, uh, have our sin forgiven and we die in our sins? It's our own fault. But, but the re reality is Jesus died for those people too. In the hopes that they would. In the hopes that they would. So I want to tell you. Jesus died. <clears throat> so that people might know him. So that people might know him. Are you willing to die so that people might know him? Jesus suffered so that people might know him. Are you willing to suffer so that people might know him? I hope you are. The truth of the matter is, I'm preaching this message. 
in hopes that it clicks with you. Really, every message I preach, my hope is that it clicks with you. That's my hope. The reality is, that's the reality. Is that not the reality? I mean, who among, I, I dare to say there's probably not one of you sitting in here who hadn't dozed off. Okay? <laughs> yeah, I know that's, yeah. I mean, that's the reality, right? But I don't go, you know what, it wasn't even worth preaching that day. It wasn't even worth studying that week. It wasn't worth seeking God that whole time. It wasn't worth the sacrifice I put in that, 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 that week, searching and praying and seeking because Daniel fell asleep. wasn't even worth it. Forget this. No, you know what? If none of you got it, it would be worth it to me for the potential of you getting it. The potential of you getting it. Why? Because it's so good. I, t- I told Carrie, uh, Car- I think I told David last, a couple weeks ago maybe, I'm like, if I could just preach it, as good as it is. It's so good if I could just translate or get it to you in, in as good as it really is. It's worth the shot. So let me talk to you as we close. We're going to be doing taking communion today together. So if you guys would go ahead and get that. I just want to encourage you. Those of you who are growing weary and well-doing because you are suffering and seemingly there is no effect whatsoever. I want to encourage you with, and give you some truth. The truth is that person that you are pursuing, that person that you are sharing Jesus with, that person that you are praying for may or may not trust Jesus. They may or may not surrender their life to Christ. They may or may not get what you're trying to tell them. They may or may not. It, it may not work out. Because unless God has promised it would, and if he has, it will. God will, that's the hope from last week. We're talking today about the other side of hope. The hope that says, even if they don't, it's worth it for the possibility that they will. And that is where the joy of being a Christian comes in. Because it is worth, it is worth whatever I've got to pay for the possibility that they will see Jesus for who he really is that they will really know Jesus it's worth whatever I've got to do so if you're doing that I want to encourage it keep it up keep it up you're going to want to quit you're going to want to quit but keep it up it's well worth it uh, last week I believe it was or week before last I was watching PBS television which as I get older is better and better. I don't know. Maybe it's the cycle of life. When you're real, real young, you watch PBS, and then you grow out of it, and then when you get old, you start watching PBS again. Uh, <laughs> stage your life of life you're in. But they were talking about the Freedom Riders. Anybody ever heard of the Freedom Riders? Freedom Riders who left from Washington, D.C., and they decided we're going to get on a bus, black people and white people, and we're going to ride from Washington, D.C., all the way to New Orleans, New Orleans, Louisiana. And we're going to go through all these places where segregation is the law. And we're going to show them that blacks and whites can be together and ride together on both sides of the uh, both ends of the bus and we're going to ride through there because it's right. It is the law of the land, by the way. 
Desegregation is the law of the land, and yet Alabama and some other states still had laws that said blacks and whites cannot, be, cannot intermingle. Blacks had to ride on the back of the bus. Whites had to ride on the front of the best bus. These people, these freedom riders, left Washington, D.C. to prove a point. Why? Because they knew it was going to be trouble, by the way, but because they felt like it was worth it. They felt like something had to be done. It was going to be worth it for the possibility that things would change. So they get, they ride, ride the bus, they get all the way to Anniston, Alabama. All the way to Anniston, Alabama. And a mob surrounds their bus, stops, and sets the bus on fire. It is Anniston, right? What's the one near, near uh, Gadsden? Atala, thank you very much. Thank you for being a geography uh, person. Atala, yeah, because I'm like, when I'm sharing this, I'm going to get Atala and Aniston mixed up, and I don't know that I'm going to say the right one. So thank you very much. Amy, give her a sticker, please, when she gets done. All right. Aniston, Alabama, the mob surrounds the bus. They set the, hmm? No, Aniston is the one where they, I was afraid I'd say Atala. Jacob, cut that out if you would, please. Aniston is where it happened. Let's just rewind. So the Freedom Riders going to, they get to Anniston, Alabama, mob surrounds the bus, they set the bus on fire. Everybody has to evacuate off the bus, and there the bus is, a towering inferno. And what do we do? What do we do? Do we give up and go home? No, 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 no. Another bus comes. The bus comes to pick them up. They get on that other bus, finally. They're scared for their lives. They get on the other bus. We're going to New Orleans. They leave. They get to Birmingham. And guess what happens in Birmingham? Birmingham had a leader that was kind of like George Wallace was at the time. Okay? So they get in. They get in the, the bus stop. And they are sitting where uh, blacks and whites are not supposed to sit together. And they're sitting together. So they sit there and they wait for the new bus. Wait for the bus. They finally get ready to go out on the bus, and all the bus drivers said, I ain't driving that bus. You know why? They heard about the, the bus in Anniston. Or maybe they were threatened, hey, if you drive this bus, we're going to take care of you and your family, and take care ain't a good thing. So they sit there, they get on a bus, they had get off a bus, and there's nobody to drive the bus. And so eventually, they come out, and they get beat to a pulp. Beat to a pulp. I think I shared that backwards. But anyway, they got beat. There's no drivers. They decide there's nothing we can do. Let's just go home. There's nothing we can do. Let's just go home. <clears throat> But some people in Nashville, Tennessee, they meet and they go, can you believe this is happening? We've got to do something. Let's go to Birmingham and let's pick up where they left off and let's finish this ride. And so some college kids leave the day before finals, which means they're not going to pass their college. They're giving up their college credit. 
They, they give up their college credit. They give up their, their jobs. They leave everything behind not knowing what's going to happen because they know the bus got burnt and they know the last people got beat to a pulp and almost killed. And they say, you know what? The cause is worth it. Let's go pick up where they left off. And they go to Birmingham and they stand there and eventually the government steps in and says, you've got to, you've got to take these people where they go. So the long story short, long story long, the people, the, the guys from this college in Nashville come and they finish the ride all the way to New Orleans. All that to say this. They considered it worth it. They suffered. Even the people who started it, they, they, they didn't finish it. They had suffered so much and they lost hope that it was even possible to make it to New Orleans. But then some other people believed and they ended up making it to New Orleans. And it became such a huge story that guess what? The laws in Alabama changed. The laws in Mississippi changed. Because the Freedom Riders, not only that, not only that, but along with the Freedom Riders decided the cause is worth it, and even if they don't change, it's worth the possibility of change for us to do it. Even if it costs us everything. We should have that same hope. You and I should have that same hope. Even if it costs me everything and I die before I see it come to pass. This is true. This is right. If I give my all for it, it will be, uh, my life will be well spent. If the ushers would come forward with uh, <clears throat> communion. The hope that things may change. Is worth it. The hope that thing that people may change is worth it. Rejoice in your sufferings. If you would, I want to invite everybody to, as y'all know this routine by now, hopefully, but uh, wherever you are, if you can go around to the side, come back, come down the aisle, get the bread and the juice, and then go back to your seats, so both sides, and at the middle, you can go whichever way you want to. You feel free. But go and, and keep it until we get through, if you would. We'll all take it together as, in the end.